it is very easy to lead the way you yourself want to be led. But when you're leading an organization, you have a big diverse pool of people and you need to try to lead in a way where people with different preferences can actually pick some things for themselves. Welcome to the Talking Leaders podcast. This is season two, conversations about promotion. Hello, Paul Gisby here. Is it possible to be an effective leader of experts in a highly technical field when you aren't an expert in that field yourself? Karin Wingstrand thinks so, and the evidence of her highly successful career leading groups in a number of disciplines concerned with drug development in the pharmaceutical industry is proof. To help me understand how one makes a success of this kind of leadership, I asked Karin to talk me through some of her experiences and any advice she developed along the way. We started off with her first promotion. Can she remember it? Yes, I can, and very vividly. It was actually while I was uh, a project leader in, in one department, and one day my boss's boss asked me to see him. And I was asked to come into his office and uh, sit in front of him, and he just handed out this posted job on a yellow piece of paper in front of me and said, I think you should apply. And I did, and I got it. And was that a, so, that was a surprise then? You weren't expecting it. It was it was a complete surprise. And how did the, that job relate to the job that you were in? It was a, a complete move. It was from a project role with no line responsibility to a line manager role in another discipline. Uh, with I think it was about thirty five people reporting to me. Right. Wow. And had you had any people reporting to you before? No. Wow. And did he explain why he was you know, offering you this opportunity? Basically saying, uh, I believe in you. It was also, I think, um, it was a very generous thing to do by this person because it was actually not in his own area. He was giving me away to another area for the benefit of the greater company. Right. So how did you feel then when, when this happened? This, you, you walked into work one morning, quite happy being with your project leader role, and then suddenly there you were being given this chance to do bigger and bigger and better things. Yeah. You know, I, I was very much surprised. I was extremely happy and for the recognition of just being asked. And, and of course, I was a little bit scared <laughs> as well. So you took the job, you accepted it. Yes. What do you think were the main reasons that you agreed to take it? I think there was, you know, there were a couple of people who conveyed strongly they believed in me. So there was something about recognition and being seen. And then there was something which I think has continued to be a theme about having seen that I'd been able to swim in different ponds. This was a much bigger pond 
a much deeper one and wider and everything and was you know the thought of mm, will i be able to swim in this pond and did it come with increased improved compensation yes yes indeed and how much of that was a factor in stimulating you to want to take it on not significant no late and and perhaps you know, some of that actually played against me because I did find out later on that others who had similar roles had, you know, give, been given a more senior title. And I assume, you know, another level of compensation as well. So I, I guess that hurt to some degree as I found that out later. But um, at the point of acceptance, no. Okay. So when you got the job and you started it, how did it work out? It worked out very well. I had a boss who, who believed in me, who supported me, but also let me actually try and swim on my own as much as possible. <laughs> and was it very different, the, the actual work you did, very different from what you'd done before? Yes, quite different, quite different, but yes. You, you didn't find that daunting? No, because there were, um, you know, many people in that department who were very skilled in the art, so to say. And my job was not necessarily to be the penultimate expert. How long did you stay in that role? I stayed in that role for two years. And then what happened? Then there was a, a reorganization. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, well, we all know those very well. <clears throat> yeah. And as you've got other promotions, do you think your attitude towards assessing whether or not you will take a promotion has changed or has it stayed the same? I think the, um, the drivers were still pretty much the same. I think they come back to, you know, who I am as an individual. You know, the, the piece of recognition is important. <laughs> and also this piece around, mm, now I've done this for a period of time. And, you know, I'm not the the person to necessarily stay in an area for very long I'm, I'm somewhat impatient so after a period of time you know I'd feel mm, you know if there an opportunity came by mm, perhaps this is an opportunity to swim in a different pond okay Let's explore that a little bit then. So you said you, sometimes you 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 know you, you like to move on and keep changing things. Mm -hmm. what, what's what's behind that? Do you think what's driving you there? What are you looking for? Well, I think it is the coming in, and there's kind of a blank sheet of paper. You know, it's curiosity, seeing what can I do here. You know, I I can actually see the same somewhat in 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 the role I'm having now as an independent board director, having been on on some boards for quite many years now. I see that um, I don't see myself contributing like I, I was the first few years. Mm -hmm. You know, well, it takes one or two years before you're really contributing, but then you have a period of a few years where I think, believe you are, tr you know, hopefully truly co contributing, but then I kind of see it winding down. Mm. So if I'm reading this right, let me let me play this back to you as to whether I'm, I'm, I'm making a guess here. But, you know, there are there are leadership roles where um, it's very much about running the shop, keeping things going, keeping things ticking over, maybe maybe incrementally improving things year on year, 
reducing costs or improving profits or improving other performance uh, metrics. And then there's a different kind of leadership, which is transformational, change-driven, uh, looking for sort of step change, one-off type improvements. I'm guessing that you're more the second type and hence the, the need to, to want to go in and, and make a difference. Yes, I think I am. Uh, but there's also this piece around I'm, I am not, you know, the expert. If you're an expert in analytical chemistry, you will enjoy digging deeper and deeper holes and learning more and more and answering more and more questions in that area. And, and you know, certain managers are like that as well. But I think the fact that I am not the expert, perhaps that's also one reason why I moved. Okay. So what do you bring to those areas? Well, I think I, I bring people skills. I bring holistic view of putting the expertise in context for the benefit of the greater good and the greater delivery of the organization. Mm. Can you illustrate it maybe with an example of where you think you've done that and it's worked well? A tiny example was that in when I was heading a pharmaceutical R&D organization, a piece of that was called clinical supplies, supplying the medicines that are needed for clinical trials. It is an area where you need to be extremely diligent because things can't go wrong there. They have to be right. And you are working with people who are actually doing the trials. And the people in this who are very diligent and, and skillful in this area had sometimes a difficulty seeing how they played into the whole piece because their world was all about clinical supplies. That was their entire world. And it was sometimes hard for them to see the entire context of running a clinical trial, which is an immensely complex operation. You know, helping them, getting closer to seeing all the little pies of the clinical trial chart or, or, or pie so that they could see how they fitted in, but they were only one part in a big jigsaw. Okay. So what, I, I, I don't know. Do you see what I mean? Does yeah, it no, I get, I get you. Absolutely. I think just, just talk us through a little bit more. So I get that. So, so basically you were talking about a, a group of people who, who were maybe a bit siloed and a bit inward looking, very, very focused on what they do. Well, they were experts. Yeah. And, and very much driven, I'm guessing, by precedent and 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 process and possibly tradition this is how we do things this is how it's done also probably very conscious of of uh, regulations and maybe therefore possibly a little bit inflexible and not open to thinking about how they might adapt in order to as you say better service the overall endeavor in which they were engaged which is which is a, a clinical trial so what did you do then to, to sort of uh, well, loosen it, things it, up a bit? Yeah, it, it was about actually having uh, them get closer to the clinical reality and, and, and also helping them not to be seen as just a service provider, 
but actually part of the team. Mm -hmm. Because if people at the other end kind of saw them as a service provider only, they would never see the big context. So I think that was part of what I did. Okay. And how did they feel after they'd gone through that process, do you think? Well, I think it was just easier for them to have a fruitful dialogue around how these two kind of specialties together designed a better outcome. Did you ever feel daunted, though, that, as you say, they were very, very expert in this this complex area, that you were maybe talking about something that you didn't know anything about? Did the imposter syndrome ever rear its ugly head? Well, I think, I mean, that, you know, has, of course, happened over the years, but it is also about making sure that you actually show other people respect for what they know and what they bring to the table and not be shy about what you bring to the table. Can you think of an instance where maybe that was a bit more of a challenge than in other places where somebody, maybe somebody did possibly resent the fact that suddenly now they were being led by somebody who didn't have a background in their field and and what what did you do and what happened? I think the the one time I experienced it was when I was in fact the first both the first female and also the first non MD who was heading up the clinical function. Non physician, yeah. Yeah. Can you give us a flavor of the kind of things that you came up against? Well, it was I, I heard about you know, specifically one manager, actually, who, who when uh, he conveyed the message about that I was going to lead that function, um, you know, basically made fun of me and said, what, what is that person going to bring to the table? This is behind, Period. This is behind your back. I mean, you did. Yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yes. Okay, yes. okay. But someone alerted you to the fact that, that this kind of thing was being said. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, I would not, you know, it was an exception. Mm. I, I must say that it is in no way has this been a theme of my career right, right. at all, at all, yeah. you know. And, you know, let's face it, we all have bad days and, and someone, some tongues may slip at times. So tell us. And there may be people who were disappointed. You never know. No, no, no. Okay. So tell us, how did it feel when that, that somebody said to you, look, this is being said? I was sad, and um, but then I, yes, it did hurt. Of course, it, of course it did hurt. But then, you know, I felt actually said more about the individual than uh, about uh, me, perhaps, and decided to kind of leave, just leave it <laughs> and do my piece. Okay, so that, that's how you dealt with it then? You, you didn't take any specific action. You didn't speak to this person. No, 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 no. Mm. not at this point, no. Mm-hmm. And then how did things roll on over time? Did you end up still working with this person? Indeed. And how was that relationship? It was, you know, I think um, not related because of this instance, but it was a little bit strained. I, I think this person had difficulty seeing, still seeing what I could bring to the table, but... Um, it did uh, develop and it, it did improve, but uh, then it kind of, it went worse again. 
Given that you have had several promotions where you have been brought in because of your leadership skills yeah. and all, all that, that flows from that, and you found yourself leading departments in which you don't have a deep experience and understanding, can we turn it around a little bit and say, how would you advise other people then that, that such an opportunity comes up and they're going to be in that same position? Do you have any advice you would give them? Well, it, I, I think it comes down to coming into the organization, being very curious, also have respect for the expertise that is there. But again, you are put there, not because you are the penultimate expert, but actually it is your job to develop the organization further and to put it into the the business context and not be shy about that. Keep that front of mind, if you like. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I'm thinking in particular, I know mean, you may not have any, but you know, I, I think that that's a good that, that's a good general framing. But I'm also thinking in the deep dark moments when you know it's getting particularly tough. Are there were there any things that allowed you to keep focus with that vision? Well, I think it is you need, obviously, to see with the people that you're working the closest, with your leadership team, for example. I I came into a, a role where there had been an extreme expert who'd been leading this function before me. And so I came in and, you know, it, it became fairly apparent to me that Every decision was basically brought to this individual and he he would decide. And so I thought, hmm, because I'm not the expert and because it's actually not using the, the resources of the organization, if only one person makes the decision, well, somewhat simplified, but still. So I, I fairly early on had two people come to me with um, two similar investment proposals and said, Here's my case, please decide. And then came the next person with a very similar investment case and say, here is my case, could you please decide? And, you know, both knowing that we couldn't go with both cases. So instead I said to both of them, okay, you've come forward with two cases. Now I want the two of you to work together and come with me, to me with one proposal. And what happened? And they did. And how did they did, did they work well together? How did how did that go? How was that relationship? Because well, I mean, to suppose know, when they first turned up, they could see themselves as rivals, were they? Yeah, yeah, indeed. You know, uh, indeed. <laughs> uh, but it was, I think, a way for me to show that um, we are going to work differently now. Mm -hmm. And it and it worked out. They they came up with a good idea. And yes, yes, and we actually went with the proposal they had. Excellent. That's a good story. Thank you. Have you ever turned down a promotion, Karin? Yes, I have. Can you talk us through what happened? It was a significant promotion, but it meant working for a person I did not have a lot of respect for. So how did you respond then when you were, you were offered? Well, I was... Um, kind of subjected to a campaign uh, to take this job. There were several people approaching me saying, you need to take it, you need to take it, etc. And And it came to the point where I had 
went to my line manager and I said, you need to be very frank to me now and, and tell me, have I received an offer or a marching order? And what was the response? And he was great. He shared a personal story of uh, turning down an offer and said, you don't need to take any offer. They're not going to fire you if you say no. No, and he basically said, you know, I'll, you know, I'll help you and protect you. Right, right. If a different person had been leading that function or whatever it was you were being invited to go to, would you have taken the job? Yes. Because why? What was it, what was attractive about the job other than the than the leader? It was in a it was a new area. It was a bigger job entailed you know having uh, staff in a number of geographies etc so something different a new area something different and being part of, of creating something new and at what point in your career did this happen sort of you know beginning middle end middle right how do you think you would have reacted if something like that had come up earlier you know, I, I actually did have a very similar experience as I was coming out of university and applying for different jobs. And I I was uh, applying for a job at a, at a company and it seemed um, like a you know, very interesting opportunity. And um, I was invited to the company and, you know, met several people and including the person who was going to be my manager. And I instinctively felt that. Mm -mm. So I, you know, I, I went home and I, there was something about it that I did not like. And, and I, I was offered to come back for the final round, but I said, thank you. Mm -hmm. Would you mind just reflecting a bit more on that idea then, that who you work for, how important that is to you? Well, I, I think it is around, there's something I've had very different bosses, I, I will say, with very different characters, etc. But somehow they've all been somewhat genuine. And there was something there that in these two cases where I didn't see that. And, and where I felt it was primarily about those two individuals and nothing else. And therefore, you know, I think when you when you consider promotion, etc., one of the most important things is actually who's going to be your boss. Because if it's someone who is a me-only person, he's never going to develop you, or she's never going to develop you and help you and and protect you. Because it's about that individual. I have been offered and taken jobs for people who had a bit of a reputation. But I did go around and, and actually ask people who had worked for the this individual. And they had, their views did not go with the reputation, so to say. And therefore, I accepted. So I said, hmm. it was a person who was extremely different from myself, but we got along very well. I think that's a great tip, actually, uh, because it does happen. I can think of a couple of examples where externally the leader of the group had a very grim reputation, 
but actually my own my own experiences while they could be a bit tetchy um mm-hmm. they were a good leader and and I, and i you know i i and my colleagues we we learned how to, to to get along so you shouldn't always necessarily take it at face value that someone who seems to be uh, be be sort of you know very firm and possibly difficult maybe that's just an no. external uh, facade yeah. and that's not how it is yeah and sometimes they're just shy <laughs> yeah so underneath they're, they're soft and cuddly but they they, they have a, a hard carapace to protect themselves maybe <laughs> so what are Karin Vingstrand's top three four five tips on what you should do if you want to be promoted if there are only top three I'd say one of them make sure you actually deliver in the role that you are concrete deliverables so you actually achieve something where you are that you can point to and that you have achieved alone or and or in combination with others the other piece is really make a very honest and conscious effort to understand how others see you because if you don't know how others see you you know one of the reasons that you may not be promoted is probably because you have a very different view of yourself your contribution your way of working than the people around you that's fascinating that that really is that really is good a good point how should you go about that then one is of course is having honest conversations you know sometimes if you have a very uh, a manager who's very skillful in in rhetoric you it's hard to dig out what he or she is really thinking then make sure they're actually given you know one of those questionnaires when they need to rate you in a certain aspects kind of like you know one of those assessments uh, of performance where you actually because then that tool can serve as a good framework for dialogue because yeah. it's not always easy for people to actually say what they think not everyone is comfortable with that and then i think these these tools around assessment you know self assessment and then you know you have some others around you assess assess you like in a 360 or so it is it's not the test itself it's actually you know the test as a tool for important conversations and i've seen i think you know some of the very best leaders i've seen they are very aware of how they are seen but what if you you the picture that comes back is completely different from what you expected um it can be devastating i've seen that happen and um it also is a very good explanation why there are certain issues in certain parts of the organization when there is a leader where there is honestly a gap in transmission what's your advice to somebody who who gets that kind of feedback it can help you how you you know fine tune or change or or learn and adapt your own behavior because it is very easy to lead the way you yourself want to be led but when you're leading an organization you have a big diverse pool of people and 
you need to try to lead in a way where people with different preferences can actually pick some things for themselves. Right. That sounds like a fascinating topic that we don't have time to go into a bit more. I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about how you how you do that. I mean, I get I get what you say completely in that if you are going to lead a diverse organization, which I think everyone can see the value and the importance of doing that, that does mean that you're going to have people by definition who think differently, behave differently, react differently to you. So you need yeah. to accommodate that. Well, yeah. I... You know, I, I've made my fair share of mistakes. I tried to sell in uh, a big change once uh, based on kind of a, a vision and so on to a very kind of scientific number-based organization. Well, I'll just say it was not a hit. <laughs> know okay. your audience, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So were you able to turn it round? Yeah. Go back and and um what would you say you know you you know you need to do it over again and and then but then you know you have yourself created a a significant uphill that you need to deal with. Right. Right. Okay, so you had you had two bits of advice. Do you want to give a third one? It is also that uh, even though you are, you know, delivering and you are, um, you know, self-aware, etc., it is also about making yourself heard. Actually, a mentor I had uh, at one point said, don't ever leave a meeting without having stated what you think. Otherwise, it was a complete waste of time challenge for introverts that indeed and you know for for people from certain asian scandinavian cultures where you're kind of brought up um, you know where kind of being humble being modest is 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 a kind of a core value so but uh, you know it's changing over time of course but uh, yes that's a good tip there's a phrase we have in English, which is don't hide your light under a bushel. It's a very old-fashioned no. phrase now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there must be a Swedish equivalent. Is there a Swedish equivalent? Um, I can't think of one right offhand. And, and perhaps that says something about the culture. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I hope you share my gratitude to Karin for not hiding away the light of her expertise as a leader of experts. So what do you think? Can only rocket scientists lead rocket scientists? Or is the recipe for better rockets great expertise plus expert leadership? Do let me know. I'm Paul Gisby of Talking Leaders. We help leaders who want to get heard, be understood and build trust. Goodbye.